Do me a favor and turn with me to uh, 1 John chapter 2, right at the end. We didn't quite finish it, uh, but we're still in 1 John 2. And uh, what I want to say to you is if you don't understand the battle he was fighting, John, that is, you'll never understand the book. And the battle he was fighting was a heresy, a, a theology that had gone awry called Gnosticism. And remember, Gnostic means knowledge, right? And I don't know if you know this. I think you do as you've been studying through this. He uses the word know in the Greek gnosko, John does, several times. He uses a different word for know as well. I'll point some of those out as we go. But uh, that's a big theme is to know the right things. You get that? Knowing the right things is very important in uh, the Christian life. Knowing uh, orthodox Christian theology as the Bible reveals it is important because what you know about who God is and who you are in relation to God has an impact, not has an impact, it, it spits out what you do. And the Bible tells us that we are to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. But Paul and the other writers of the letters always, to get you to do something, to practice righteousness, they tell you first who you are. Who you are as the Bible reveals who you are, not who you are as you want to think you are in some spiritual way or something really who you are. And the Bible makes you come face to face, doesn't it, with who you are, who men and women, boys and girls are, because the fourth page of the Bible, the fourth page, folks, has brother murdering brother. See, sin is a big problem, and we come face to face with the fact that we're sinners. Our hearts are deceptively wicked, you know how you grew up and people say out in the uh, I, uh, commerce of ideas, peace, people are basically good? You hear that all the time. Go on Facebook. Watch it. You'll see it. Go on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, uh, all of them, all the social media sites. People, oh, people, I love to see the good in people. Well, hmm, that's interesting because the Bible tells us that we're all basically, not basically, we all are sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God, and that our hearts are deceptively wicked, and that there's no, no one righteous, no, not one, and that all of us have, like sheep, have gone astray. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, the Bible says that we're sinners, but now we've been saved by grace. And the Bible makes us come face to face with that. And then what happened is, in John's time, is there was this group of people that went off the rails, so to speak. They started to think of uh, a theology or create a theology that isn't really in the Scriptures, and that theology was Gnosticism. And that, I've told you on several occasions, is the idea that uh, there can come these spiritual uh, heights that you can uh, attain if you press in enough 
And if God um, uh, is uh, so gracious enough to implant the special seed of knowledge in your life so that you can get to this higher plane of consciousness or spirituality, and uh, uh, it believed, Gnosticism did, that eve or matter was evil, all matter, bodies, matter, evil. And so that became two real strains of thought in the Gnostic camp, and that was this. Well, if body is evil but the spiritual is good, well, who cares what we do with our bodies? We'll go and do every conceivable thing with our bodies because what does it matter? That's evil, and we're trying to divorce ourselves from that in our spiritual life. And, and so you had that strain of Gnosticism. And then you had the other strain of Gnosticism that said, well, wait a minute. If ever, our bodies are evil or matter is evil, let's beat our bodies into submission. And you know that uh, people would whip themselves and do other strange things to try and bring their body uh, into submission. Now, of course, the Bible does tell us we are to do that in one sense, but there's a balance here, folks. We, are going, we live in bodies. Our bodies aren't evil, so to speak. Uh, yes, we uh, have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a sin nature, and we are uh, going to die physically unless the Lord comes back first. But we're going to get a glorified, resurrected body to live in heaven or to live with the Lord forever, right? And so he's uh, even bringing that uh, to pass. Well, you see it all throughout this book. And in the first chapter, right at the beginning, see what they thought Jesus was or who they thought Jesus was, was some of the Gnostics believed Jesus was all spiritual. He must have been all spiritual. He's a great man, a great prophet. He, must, he, died, he came to save us. He must have been all spiritual because matter is evil. And so the thing that you saw Jesus have, you know, the hands and the feet. Those were just, he was just like a ghost that many in the Gnostic camp believed, and he was really spiritual. And there were a lot of weird things that um, uh, fl flowed from those ideas. You see how important it is to know what the Bible says? You can get off in left field spiritually, and left field can be a bad place, you see. So here in the beginning, he says, Paul or John says, uh, this writer, John, says that which was from the beginning in verse 1. We've heard him. We've seen him. We've looked upon him. We've actually touched him. Why do you think he's saying that? Of course, he's combating Gnosticism, you see. And he keeps doing it throughout, throughout the whole book. Well, one thing that we never should tire of, starting in verse 5 uh, to the end of the chapter is one, is that, look at this, folks. Uh, actually, it starts before that. It starts around verse 3. We can have fellowship with God and Jesus Christ. That's staggering. We, we have fellowship. We share life with the creator of the universe. That's what this book is telling you. For Christians, for those who are found in Christ, you can have fellowship. Now, come on. I know you're tired, but that's pretty amazing. Right? That's amazing. The privilege of fellowship with God through Jesus. We have fellowship. In fact, the Bible tells us that we can come close. Uh, we can come boldly into his throne room. We can actually call him Abba, Father, Daddy. We're close. We're kids. We're children of God. We'll learn more about that today. And, uh, you know, we saw in verse 2 or chapter 2 uh, the tests 
of knowing him, that if we keep his commandments. And there was this great theme through verse or chapter 1 and chapters 2 of walking in the light and not sinning and those sorts of things. And so chapters 1 and 2 really talk about living in the light, okay? Living in the light. But chapters 3 and 4 of 1 John talk about living in love. Oh, don't we want to hear about that? Even the Beatles wanted to know about this, right? All, all you need is love, which we could pull apart uh, uh, theologically, but whatever. Uh, they sang about this, right? Because it was the, it's the world's song. It's the cry of the heart of men and women, boys and girls, all throughout the world. To be loved and to love somebody. And so chapters 3 and 4 deal with... Um, Love. And then chapter 5 of 1 John deals with life, born again. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You hear, I want you to hear that now. You must be born again. You can't just come to church. You can't just give lots of money. You can't serve on committees. You can't do, uh, uh, you know, help old ladies across the street, help old men across the street, all that sort of thing to try and gain your way into heaven. No, no, you must be born again. And we're going to talk about that in chapter 5. But before we do, turn over to the 21st chapter of chapter 2. We, huh? (laughs) Okay, yeah. Actually, the 24th verse, sorry, I get chapter and verse mixed up. Oh, well. 24th verse of chapter 2, that's where we'll begin today. We were saying last time as we left, uh, John tells us that people are liars who deny that Jesus is the Christ. You can't just think who the Messiah is and have him form to your theology or thinking. You must believe in Jesus Christ as revealed in the Scriptures. It's a matter, see, see, look folks, that issue is a matter of life and death. If you get Jesus wrong, if I get Jesus wrong, if we get Jesus wrong, we get the whole thing wrong. That's what John told us last time. And now remember, you say, well, wait a minute, that sounds harsh. This is the apostle of love, the apostle of love. He was one who started as the son of thunder. He had an anger management problem or whatever. And after the the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, John becomes the apostle of love. And he says lovingly, can can you believe it? Those who say that Jesus isn't God or to deny his deity are liars. They're lying. It's not true. You must get who... Uh, right who Jesus is. So he says to us here in verse 24 of chapter 2, I'll read it. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us. You see, it's uh, a matter of life or death, eternal life. This is the promise uh, that he has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. You see, he's trying to combat deceptors or deceiving people in the church. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need, is this an amazing statement or what? You do not need that anyone teach you, 
But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just it is, as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So pray with me, would you please? Lord, thank you for these uh, amazing words, holy words, Lord. Help us to understand them, Lord, what they say, what your meaning is, how they impact us, but who you are, Lord, and uh, uh, help us in all these things by your Spirit as we move forward today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've talked about this. If you just uh, highlight or do what you uh, do with your Bible here, abide is everywhere in chapter 2. Abide means to stay under, to stay under, and also to derive your life and resource from. You know the famous chapters or the chapter in John that Jesus is the vine and we're the branch. We plug into the resource of life that Jesus gives. That's how we abide. Abide also can mean like homey, being at home with. Isn't that beautiful? So not only do we stay under the authority of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we're actually uh, 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 receiving resource and life to live this life because, folks, it's tough sometimes out there, right? Not only that, but we're abiding with him in the sense that it's homey. It's where we feel safe. That's what a home is. It's a place of love and safety, and we abide with him. And Jesus said he would come and make his home in Christians. God and Jesus would make their home in the hearts of Christians. Do you see how intimate it is? And here he says, let that abide in you what you heard from the beginning. He's talking about those concepts or those realities, but what uh, or how they were delivered to them in the beginning was the apostles taught the gospel. It was delivered once for all to the saints. They Uh, uh, The gospel, obviously, uh, was lived out by Jesus Christ, but it was taught, and the foundation of the teaching was by the apostles. Ephesians tells us that. And so these are the things that John started with all of his churches from the beginning, you understand? Abiding. Let these things abide in you. What things? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Gaze upon it. Think upon the gospel, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and now the helper that comes to live in our lives. That ministry of Jesus where he is at the right hand of the Father, our advocate. Those, this is the gospel. And so we think on these. If what you heard from the beginning, does that abide in you? Can you answer that? Honestly, does that abide in you? Do you abide there? Is that where you feel safe? Is that where you run to? Is that where you divide? uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, That you gain resource and life from? Derive, there you go. Derive resource and strength from. Is that where you run to? You get it? That's abiding. It's trusting, depending for the little things in life, for the big things in life, for the medium things in life, for your salvation, first of all, for your eternal life. It's everything. It's abiding. You see it? 
we'll go all of this lifetime until the Lord comes or we die and go and be with him, we'll, uh, this whole lifetime learning to abide. But we know this. Don't we know this? It's the safest and best place to be. It's the healthiest place to be, abiding. From the beginning, abides in you. You also abide in the Son and then the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us. Oh, my. Are we just barking up some tree? Are we, just, are we just whistling in the wind? Are we just coming in here to be a club of people who love one another and do stuff together and, uh, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, parties and, and eat together? Is that what we're doing? No, 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 no. We have eternal life. And, and the eternal life starts the minute you've counted on the finished work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So for those in here who've surrendered their life to Christ, listen to this. We share life, the very life of Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit that lives in our life, the down payment guaranteeing us uh, entrance into heaven. We share all of that, and though we come from much different backgrounds and, uh, uh, you know, economic status or whatever it is, the differences that there are, we share this life and we can talk with one another about it and love one another in it because it is the Lord pulsing in and out of our life. That's it. We have eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, verse 26. Deceive you. Have some weird thoughts about, like, who the Holy Spirit is. Remember, right at the end of last sermon, we talked about this. Folks, there ain't no special anointing on people. You all have the anointing. I know what you're trying to say. I get it when people say, oh, man, he really had the anointing on him today at church when he's speaking or, or whatever. Guess what? You have it too. That's what I want you to know. Yes, there's an anointing on the pastor or maybe sometimes, maybe not me, but it's others. You, you know what I'm saying. There is this anointing, but it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and you have that anointing, and that's what he's trying to tell you. Don't be deceived that there are some who can, you know, you see them on TV. Oh, man, the anointing was on me. But it can be on you, and not only can be, it is on you. It is on you. You have the anointing. You have the oil, the Holy Spirit living in your life. He says, don't be deceived by that. See, what did Gnosticism do? It created classes of people. I'm here, you're not, which become, can become very unloving. It also can be very elitist. You, you know, I'm just saying, I, I pastor a church of just a couple hundred, you know, maybe a hundred people, whatever, I don't know. And you know, I stand up here a lot, and you folks come to me, and if I started to think I was bigger than others, that could be intoxicating. Can you imagine being in front of a 1,000 people or 10,000 people, and they're all listening to you? You get it? You could start to say things like, hmm, boy, well, you know, I was in my study, and I heard from the Lord. Well, you can be in your study, and you hear from the Lord. You understand? We're on even keel here. We'd have different roles, but we are on even keel. And here he says, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. There it is for the normal Christian person. The anointing abides in you, the Holy Spirit. And what does this Holy Spirit do? You do not need that anyone teaches you. I get it. Sometimes people will text me, and they want the answer to a question about something. 
and what I try to do is I try to get them uh, to go back and look themselves. I'll give you the answer if I know it. I don't always know it. I like you to deal with the Holy Spirit and find it for yourself. Of course, I want to put you in a position where you can find it, and I want to be helpful. But what I'm trying to say is you rightly divide the word with the help of the Holy Spirit. When you begin to read the Bible and you don't know something, pray to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to direct you into truth. And don't be uh, upset if the first reading through you don't get it or the hundredth reading through you don't get it. Just keep going at it. Because the Holy Spirit teaches you the same as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true. And this is not a lie. And just as it is taught you, you abide in him. Now, one of your questions might be this. Well, why do you need a pastor? Well, the Bible does say in other places that there are to be teachers to help uh, uh, expand the Word. Not expand, but to tell us what's in the Word, exegete the Word. Uh, uh, so, so there is preaching and teaching, and that's talked about in the Bible. But then when you go back into your homes or wherever you're going, you have the greatest teacher of all, the Holy Spirit of God. And you have that anointing. It's in you. That's what this is trying to say. There's no class distinction here in the church. I don't have all the answers. Only one does. We're helping each other. I'm certainly willing to help, but you have the Holy Spirit too. That's the point. And now, little children, 28, abide in him. See, abide is abide important. That when he appears, see, the appearing of Jesus Christ is a doctrine that runs throughout the whole Bible. He's coming back again, folks. We're studying about it on uh, uh, Wednesday nights, but you don't need to just know Revelation. It's everywhere in the Bible, and John lived in that expectation that he was going to come back. When he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. See, I hear a lot of people say, I'm scared to study Revelation. I hear it. You shouldn't be scared. I'm not saying pat you on the head and say, don't be scared. That's like saying, you know, if you're scared of swimming or something and you can't swim. Well, don't be afraid. But I am afraid. I mean, what am I supposed to do? But here, if you study the scriptures, you're going to go from being fearful of Jesus coming back to being happy about Jesus coming back. And not only that, you're going to purify yourself, the Bible says, for those who wait for the coming of the Lord, who look for it, who understand it, and don't use it as a weapon against people, but love it. It's a purifying doctrine because you can't wait until he comes back. You want to be found in confidence and unashamed. What's that mean? Well, hey, let me tell you something. You and I for the Lord coming back, I believe that's a reference to the rapture. Others don't, but I believe that is. He's going to come back in the rapture and meet us in the clouds, 1 Thessalonians 4. He's coming for his church. Listen, I'm confident and not afraid. You know why? It has nothing to do with me as the pastor. or I know It's because I know who he is, and so do you. He's coming back for his bride, his family, his church, and you're part of it. And I hear people say things like, sorry, I heard it this morning. Well, I'm going to miss my cat, or I'm going to miss my something, or you ain't going to miss it. 
you'll have the answers. You're not going to know less in heaven than you do on earth. You're going to have the answers about your, uh, your, your family members. But see, you're going to be so preoccupied with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just read Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. You're just going to be filled with it and filled with it, with Him, the glory of Him. And see, so you can be confident and not ashamed. What do you mean not ashamed? See, I've done some bad stuff in my life. <laughs> so should I be ashamed? Well, I am not proud of the bad stuff that I've done in my life. But see, here's the point. I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. The blood of Christ has washed that away. It's taken it as far as the east is from the west, my sins, to the vanishing points on the horizon. Boom! He's taken it that far, and he remembers it no more, Hebrews tells us. In other words, God doesn't count our sins against us. If we're in Christ, but only if we're in Christ, and if we are in Christ, guess what? We don't have to be ashamed when he comes back. Oh, well, wait a minute. I didn't witness to that one person or that. Well, where does it say that? But I didn't read my Bible a hundred days in a row. Where does it say that? Of course, do we want to witness to people? Of course, do we want to read? Yes. But I'm not going to be ashamed, and neither will you if you're found in the blood. You've been washed clean by the blood of Christ, and you're in him, and he's in you. You won't be ashamed. Now, later, here it comes. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Circle that word practices. That's going to be a big theme here today because you're going to have questions. I know it. You always have questions in 1 John 3. Everybody does. Okay, here it comes. Behold, first of all, <laughs> behold, what's that? Look, marvel at Marvel at this, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. We all should memorize this verse. And not only memorize it, we should learn it and love it and behold it and marvel at it and, and, and thank the Lord all the time for this one. What do you mean? What manner of love? See, he wants to tell you something about the love of God, the love of people is not the love of God. The love that I grew up with was, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, okay, you can do something for me and you're kind to me. Okay, okay, I'll love you. But as soon as, you know, you weren't valuable or didn't do this for me, poof, out. That's the love of the world. See, he's trying to tell you here, there's this manner of love, this thing, or this, this uh, extraordinary love that the b Father has bestowed upon us. There's love that the Father has bestowed upon us, and he wants you to behold it. Are you catching it? Well, what does uh, 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 bestowed mean? It means lavished upon. Are you catching that? While you were yet sinners, he lavished love on you. G folks, enemies, enmity with God. He comes and lavishes love on you. I know it because I read Romans 5.8, and I say it up here all the time. He demonstrates. By the way, it's not demonstrated. It's in the present tense. He demonstrates his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for you. So if you're praying this week, and you're, 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 I know it, you do it. Man, Lord, you know, I need this, this, and this to happen by Friday. And then Saturday comes and 
you know, only one of the three things happens. And so what we do is we start to question whether God really loves us. Oh, Lord, I can't believe you didn't give me the second and third thing. I mean, that's what I asked for. I mean, right? And we start to say things like, do you really love us? You might not say it, but you're thinking it. God says, time out. I want you to behold a manner of love that demonstrates itself to you at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you ever, ever, ever doubt that Jesus loves you, all you have to do is look to the cross. Look to the cross. That's If he just did, folks, folks, listen. If he just did the cross for you, that's more than enough. But he didn't. He does give you the cross. You get salvation. You are justified by faith. You're just as if you never sinned. Know that word. You're just as if you never sinned in the eyes of God because of the blood of Jesus. He paid the penalty for your sins. You are justified. Boom. Declared not guilty. That's fantastic. But then also what he does is he puts into your spiritual bank account, listen to this, his righteousness. So he, he just doesn't bring you from a negative uh, place spiritually to just a neutral place spiritually, justification. He actually moves you into the positive by giving you uh, uh, his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? Oh, wait a minute, folks. It doesn't stop there. It just keeps going. It's lavish. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. His love, his grace, his mercy just keeps going. What do I mean? Listen, he could have just stopped right there. Justified righteous we have imputed righteousness he puts us into the you know the positive category so to speak he didn't even just stop there guess what else he did he put you in the family he put you in a family he didn't have to do that why does he have to do that he put you into his family so that you're not listen listen to this you're not a son or a daughter you are that you're not just a son or a daughter. Son or daughter implies something that's like legal. Oh, uh, when I die, you know, this fourth goes to my daughter, fourth to a son, fourth to a son, fourth to a son. That's what, see, but then look at this. He's not just a legal offspring, your children which implies it's not just some legal transaction to get you into heaven. He actually loves you. You get it? He didn't have to do it. He puts you into the family of God, and he says, I want you to keep looking at that. That's where I want you to look, that you're a child of God, that this is a manner of love that's sacrificial. The Father has bestowed upon you. He's lavished it upon you. It's a, uh, a bestowed is like a, a, one-sided, a one-sided giving. There wasn't any expectation of a return. I'm just doing this for you because I love you. Not only that, listen, when he bestows upon us, uh, 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 this uh, relationship calling us children of God, this love, listen, not only does he lavish it a whole bunch, not only does he give it without expecting in return, look at this. He actually injects his love into your life. Ooh. Why? Because you're an offspring. You're a child of God. You 
are becoming, when you come into the family of God, look at this, when you come into the family of God, you're becoming what He is, not that you become a God, but you are the characteristics of God, and His love changes you. So, He actually puts into your life, uh, Galatians 2.20, His actual life, His actual love he says, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Folks, catch this now. Don't use this with people. When you're sharing with people, talk to them about this. In one sense, well, here, 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 I'll say it this way. True or false, don't, don't say it out loud. I don't want to embarrass you. We're all children of God. Everybody in the world's child of God. That's what we hear all the time. But the answer really is False. Oh, yes, we're a child of God in this sense, that we were made in the image and likeness of God. But John 1.12 says, as many as received him, as many as received him, to those he gives the right to become children of God. You are not automatically spiritually a child of God until you surrender your life to everything that he's done for us and depend on him. You see it? Isn't that beautiful? See, this is a high and holy privilege to be a child of the Creator, to be a child of the King. What a privilege. So now, we don't live our life out of fear, recoiling fear. We do have reverential fear or awe. But now we live uh, in a relationship of love. We start to understand what it is that he did for us to get us into the family of God. And now we want to respond, not out of duty or obligation, but because we get to, because we love them. Look, think of the people in your family that you love. And you know, like, you know, you know that stranger that'll call you at like four in the morning and ask you to drive down 51 to Bel Vernon or wherever and change the tire. What do you say? Who are you? What, what do you mean? Why would you call me? You know, just somebody, right? But, if, but oh, hold on, but hold on. If your kid calls, you'll go. Why? Because you love them, right? You love them. Or if your wife calls or if your husband calls or whatever, you'll go because you love them, right? That's this. That's this. Oh, okay, so behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. He really wants you to pay attention to verse 1. But check this out. See, the Gnostics would try to blend in. Well, matter's evil. I have this high and spiritual life. I don't really, I can go, but I can go and do what I want. I can hang out with who I want, or what I want, you know, when I want. And he says, but wait a minute, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. In other words, he's uh, hinting at here, he's going to tell us here in a little bit, when you are loved like this and love back and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in your life, listen to this, the world is going to hate you. You're going to be a witness unto the world. You ever been, I've been to these. You ever been to these? I've been to these. Christmas party at work. And, you know, what happens at a Christmas party at the circles I work in, well, they drink, right? Of course, that's what the whole thing is. That's what it's about. I mean, let's blow off some steam and have a cocktail party and get out at, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon at Christmas and, and do that thing. But it's not just about the fellowship. It's about the drinking. And then, you know, uh, I love it when they give me a, uh, uh, you know, a cup that you can see through, 
uh, and you're drinking, hey, you know, somebody will sidle up to you. What are you drinking? And it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like you just pop their balloon. Oh, I'm having a Coke. <laughs> what? Or I'm having, you know, Perrier today or, or whatever. I don't know. I'm just making something. Or club soda. I'm having club soda. And you know the look they give you? Like, what, what is wrong with you? And then, you know, about seven seconds later, the person who asked you is gone. Right? Because what's happening there on a mini scale is they're starting to recognize that you're different and they don't like it. And why don't they like it? Because it's convicting to them. Because Ecclesiastes tells us we were made for him. And there's something in our hearts that kind of is, not kind of, it's, it's stirring, it's, it's uh, restless, and we, it's made for God, and yet we don't fill it with God, and so we fill it with other things. And when people come and they see that you're living for God, ooh, it's convicting. Whether they say it or not, it's convicting. So the world's going to hate you. And he wants you to know that, and he understands that a Christian, a real, authentic, born-again, spirit-filled Christian will know this going in. And beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, <laughs> can you hardly believe it? We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. The Bible tells us, right, we look, uh, 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 you know, uh, at a glass uh, that's dark, right? We look in the glass that's dark. We, we kind of know from the scriptures what's happening, but when the Lord comes back for us, I believe it's at the rapture. When the Lord comes back for us and we meet him in the air and we come face to face it's revealed who he is, see, when we shall see him as he is. We're going to see the plans and purposes that he's had for us this whole time. And what is the plans and purposes for you? Well, I know it because I read the Bible, and so do you because you read the Bible. You know, I know what the, <laughs> the goal of your life is. I, I mean, I, I know it. I know what the goal of your life is because, or the, uh, the whole overarching theme of your life because I simply read Romans 8. Why don't you turn there? Look at it. If you're struggling today with what your purpose is, what's your purpose? Where, why do I, how do I fit into middle school? How do I fit into high school? Well, how do I fit in at work? What, well, you're not called to fit in. <laughs> Of course, you need to know that there's other people who believe like you, love like you. That's why we have church here. We come together and strengthen one another. But the purpose of your life is set forth right in Romans 8, 28 and 29. Grandpa Joe, if you're listening, you love this. It's his favorite verse. And we know that all things were together, or work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, here you go. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here it comes, to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is. There's the whole purpose of your life. God's preparing you here for when you get together with him. And you'll see him as he is, and you'll be blown away. That's why I'm thinking you're not going to care about your cat in heaven. Sorry, I know there's a lot of cat lovers in here. You're not going to care about your dog in heaven. Oh, if they're there, great, fantastic. You're going to know more in heaven than you know here, but you're going to be so preoccupied with the love and light and glory of Jesus Christ 
you see. You're going to be filled up. And here he says, we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. That's a promise, folks. That is a promise. There's a promise in the Bible. You're going to see Jesus as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. That's a purifying doctrine. That is a purifying doctrine because he's preparing you for eternity. We live in a relationship of love. Therefore, it's not out of obligation that we do what Christ asks us to do. It's out of love. I believe we serve a higher standard than the law. It's the law of love and liberty. We don't want to hurt our father. We don't want to go against our father. When we disobey, we'd strike a, uh, uh, we strike against the grace of God, not the law of God. You get it? Well, here you go. He says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And then whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Lawlessness, without law, disregard for the law of God, which is really a disregard for the lawgiver. You want me to say that again? I'll say that again. <laughs> Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. What's lawlessness? It's a disregard for the law of God, which is really a disregard for the lawgiver because his heart is revealed in his law. And what does he say the most important part of the law is? What is the law summed up? Is to love him with everything. It's just to love him with everything and love your neighbor too. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh. So to strike at the heart of God is to disregard, or to be lawless is to disregard uh, uh, God and to strike at his heart, you see? And so we don't want to do that. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness, a disregard for him. And you know that he was manifested. Why was he manifested? He was manifested to take away our sins. That's the purpose of Jesus. That's why he came. That was his mission. And in him, and this is important, and we've been talking about this for months, this is important. He was a real man. He was also God, but he lived without sin. He perfectly fulfilled the law, so that when you trust in him, and by the way, he actually took the penalty of the law, which was death, and he defeated that. And so when you believe in Christ, see, the, that's fulfilled in you. That's fulfilled in you because everything that he's achieved, you've achieved in Christ. Get it? Okay, so that's important. But whoever abides in him, verse 6, or wait, 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 that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Now, here it comes. Here's the one that gets everybody. This is the one I always get. People call me. They come see me. Their eyes are as big as this, you know, silver dollars, right? Uh-oh. I'm in. Here's what they say. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. But here's what it is. got to read it in the Greek tense. Whoever, abide, whoever abides in him does not sin, but whoever sins has neither seen him nor know him. That's where the silver dollar look comes in. See, go back up to where I told you to, uh, verse 29 of chapter 2. 
There they give a good rendition of it. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices, that's the word. This, this verb tense here, whoever abides in him does not sin. That really should be continue in sin or practice sin or be a habitual sinner. Because as we all know, who here uh, hasn't sinned this week? Raise your hand. Nobody did that. Because even in this book, he says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Truth is not in you, remember? So it can't be opposed to one another. And so what chapter 6 means here is whoever abides in him, he doesn't sin in this sense, in the sense that your sins are covered, and now you are beginning to practice righteousness. You're no longer a slave to sin. You want to do right things, right? But Whoever sins has either seen him or know him. And that verb tense is whoever practices habitual sins. Got it? I'm not letting you off the hook, by the way. I don't think John lets you off the hook because now some people are going, all right, if I can just do it maybe two times a week instead of four times a week. That's how humans think, right? Paul says, right, that's sheer stupidity. No one who understands the gospel would ever think that way. That's what Paul says. No one would ever think that way. Why? Because you have become a new creation in Christ. You're no longer a slave to sin, but now you're a slave to righteousness. So when you do sin, and you will, it bothers you. You know why it bothers you? Because your conscience and the Holy Spirit comes and says that was wrong. And you know it, and you confess it, right? Okay, so, but practic, uh, those who practice habitual sin d- don't see him or know him. That's interesting, because what, was the, not, what were the Gnostics doing? <laughs> they were committing all sorts of diabolical and ugly and evil sins. So he's saying, well, wait a second, if you practice those sorts of things, uh, by the way, it happens in the American church all the time. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Now, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous, because you're a slave to righteousness, Romans 6, 7, and 8. Charles Spurgeon says this, The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. What John doesn't want you to do is kid yourself. Yes, I've given you the tense about habitual and uh, sin and uh, that, uh, you know, practicing sin. But there is this sense in which we can just figure out then what can we get away with. Charles Spurgeon said it so nice, the grace that didn't, doesn't change my life will not save my soul. There must be evidence of change for there to be a real change. And so you must say to yourself, I can't say it or as anybody else, is the trajectory, listen to this, is the trajectory of my life towards walking in conformity to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 29? Or is the trajectory of my life loving the sin? Right? Well, you keep going and he says, he who sins, here's the apostle of love, He's already called people liars, and now he says, he who sins is of the devil. Of course, uh, those folks who sin or practice sin, who are in sin, who are in bondage to sin are of the devil. Why? Because the devil is the prince of this world, Jesus said, 
the world, this world is under the sway or the influence of the devil. Uh, uh, those who are outside of Christ, not my words, the Bible's words, are children of wrath. He says, he who sins, who's the in that sort of uh, standing, uh, has never surrendered their life to Christ, not counting on the finished work of Jesus Christ, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now turn with me over to Colossians. I love this verse. See, see how weird my mind works? You, you, I'm going to relate this to sports. You know what I hate in sports? Free agency. I hate it. But the players love it. You get why? The players get much more money. If anybody who's watching is a player, they're going to hate what I say. They get tons of money because they're free agents. Right? Somebody says, I don't know. But see, when the, before there was free agency, guess what happened? Players didn't transfer teams. And you know what I loved about the NFL? By the way, I lived in Ohio, so I didn't like the Steelers growing up. But I love them now, so don't take what I'm about ready to say with a grain of salt. So I hated the Steelers because they were dominant. And that's what made it great. Domination. I loved it in sports. I love domination. I, I don't like parody in sports. I like domination. So uh, I think it makes uh, for better theater. But whatever. I hate free agency. Now, why in the world did I just talk to you about that? Because I love this verse about domination. Look at Colossians 2 here. Because here's what happens. Jesus was rejected here when he came. He was rejected by his own people, rejected by his countrymen, rejected by the Jews, rejected by the Romans, hung up on a cross, apparently to the people who lived at the time, this isn't blasphemy, but apparently to the people at the time, didn't accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish, a kingdom, right? They didn't think he accomplished that. We know that he has and will. We know that. But, but they didn't think so. And they thought, in some sense, that was really weak to go to the cross. Why couldn't you just knock them out and we could sit at your right hand and be in the cabinet? It would be awesome. And it didn't happen that way. And so you get to Colossians 2.15, though. Actually, we'll start in 14. What did Jesus do at the cross? He wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. This is what he did at the cross. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. But here comes the domination. Having disarmed principalities and powers, here it comes. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Boom. He won. When you thought it was the bleakest, the darkest, there was no time left on the clock. It's all run out. You thought, it's over. We lost. 
the despair and the defeat, and he comes with an upper hand. Just a right hook gets spiritually and just boom, knocks him out. He defeats death and disarms the principalities. In other words, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Total domination. Whoever has been born of God doesn't sin. You remember that. It's not the trajectory of our life. We do sin, but we don't practice it. When we do it, we uh, confess it and move on. And for his seed remains in him. What seed? Well, the seed of the Holy Spirit. We have new life in us, right? And now we have the, uh, 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 the Holy Spirit living in us. But Peter also tells us that the implanted word of the seed helped us to be born again. So here's what he's saying here. You do have the life of Christ, the Holy Spirit, living in you. But catch this, it's that implanted word that makes a difference in your life that will help you to keep from sinning. That's beautiful. So whoever has been born doesn't sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Again, it's the trajectory of your life. Okay, now listen, I'm pushing you. Check this out. In this, the children of God and the children of devil are manifest. In other words, you're going to be able to tell... (laughs) You you get it? You're going to be able to tell, he says. You're going to be able to tell. The children of the devil are manifest. What what marks children of the world? What marks people of the world? What marks people? They're more concerned with their self and their kingdom than they are with others. Of course, that's, that's what the world is built upon, right? What is marked by Christian love? It's not just these warm, fuzzy feelings. Like, look, folks, I get it. You don't like everybody in the church. Uh Uh-oh, I said it. I, I get it. You don't like everybody in the church. You don't click with everybody in the church. But you know, that appeals to that natural, carnal person. I mean, are there just some people you just naturally gravitate to, right? Come on, be honest, right? And there's some that you don't. But that's not what uh, John calls us to. He calls us to the love of Christ, which reaches out to all, whether we quote, unquote, like them or not. And not just to bear with them like you tolerate them, but to actually positively pour love out upon them. That's the uh, love of Christ. By the way, it also includes enemies, but check this out. It's a sacrificial love. It's going to cost you something. Time, resources, emotional output, whatever. That's what the love of Christ is. So catch it. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. You don't do the right things. Nor is he who does not. Here it comes. Well, I mean, you know, Gertrude, I sat in my pew and she wouldn't leave. Or, you know, Bill ate my coconut donuts and I'm not going to forgive him. Sorry, Bill. But or whatever, and then you hold grudges here in the church. Well, you're not getting it. Let me read it to you again. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And you could go to John 13, 34. We talked about that last week. Not as Cain, who is of the wicked one. And that describes to you that selfish love. Cain wanted what was best for him, first and foremost and always. And it resulted in murder. Because his works were evil, it says. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. And that made him jealous because he was self-centered. Don't marvel, verse 13, my brethren. If the world hates you, the world will hate you for this. You might love your enemies and they're going to hate you back. Well, they will hate you because it's convicting. We know that we have passed. Here it comes. Look at this. You want a litmus test for your Christianity? Well, here it comes. This is hard to swallow right here sometimes. We know that we've passed from death to life. That's the whole message of Christianity. We know we've passed from death to life because here it comes, because we love sacrificially, not uh, that fuzzy, warm feeling, not the liking, but the loving. You know what this is? (laughs) This is when a guy says, I need to be moved on a Saturday morning. <laughs> and, and you go move him. This is, the mom is, you know, single mom and she's frazzled and frayed. And you don't have to, but you just go over and you watch the kids for an hour or two. This is the love that you know, you, you, I, I know you wanted to watch your favorite show, but you give it up. You go. This is the love that sees somebody who's in need, and you wanted to buy that amazing North Face coat that you've been pricing out on, you know, REI for a whole year, and it finally got to a, you know, it's $170 instead of $250, and you're about ready to pull the trigger, <laughs> and you find... <laughs> You know, somebody who can't pay the rent. And you pay it. Or whatever. This is that love. This isn't just love that gets together and says, how you doing? Pray for you. Runs out the door. This is love that comes together when people are hurting. When we see a need and we meet a need. That's this love. And not only that, folks. When you see that happening in the church, remember, it's more than just moving somebody or watching kids or paying rent. It's actually an indication that you've moved from death to life. In this self-centered world, that's a big issue. He who does not love his brother abides in death, and whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You want me to read that one again? There's no room for it. If you're holding on to things with people in the church, get them right. If there's somebody in this room you're not talking to because of a grudge, get it right. It's imperative that you do. By this we know love. So here we go. You say, well, okay, okay. You know, the pastor here has kind of explained this love, but it's better in the Scriptures what he does. You say, well, man, okay, love my brother. Well, what do I do? Well, he he tells it to us. 
This is how we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We, we see it at the cross. He died for us. He was innocent. He had the, listen, man, do we need this in this mask era? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He had the right to come down off the cross, folks. There was no legal reason for him to be convicted. He could have called legions of angels and they would have come and just taken him off, no problem. But look, he took what was his right and he laid it down <laughs> for a greater purpose and the greater purpose is you. And we say we can't wear a mask. Hmm, interesting. He said he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and see his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, you know, that's what we do. Now, we can't save everybody. I am very encouraged by that time Jesus was at the pool of Bethesda. <laughs> and it says, that the Bible actually says there were lots of sick people there. And Jesus healed how many? One. Why do you think he only healed one? This is liberating because it's the only one the Father asked him to heal. <laughs> you only do what the Father asks when he shows you need. You don't have to go around saving the world. You can't do that. But when the Father shows you something, when God shows you something about somebody's need and you just blow it off or I blow it off, guess what you've just done? You've shut up your heart from him. You've just put up a wall. And how does the love of God abide in that kind of a heart? That's what he says here. How does the love of God abide in that kind of a heart? My little children, not us, let, let, us, let us not love in word or in tongue. There, you know, there are a lot of people that love to read about love. They love to study the Scriptures here about love. And that's good. We should study the Scriptures. There are some who even enjoy, you know, uh, they have books written about it. What is really the love of God? Agape love, sorge love, phile love, eros love. And they read about it, and they think about it, and, they, and it's comforting to them because it's, it's good to fill our hearts up with the love of God. But if you do that, and you talk about it, and you read about it, and you think about it, but you don't go out and do anything about it, you're just as selfish as anyone else. <laughs> That's what he's telling us here. Don't hide your light upon a hill. Go help, love. How do we share the gospel? How do we share the gospel, folks? Go help somebody. Go love somebody. Go talk with somebody. Uh, why in the world would you come and move me on a Saturday morning? Well, I'm an ambassador for Christ. What? Yeah, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I love you, man. Or whatever. Here he says, little children, don't love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just store up this stuff for yourself. Go do this stuff by the uh, grace and mercy and resource of God. And by this we know that we are of the truth, uh, truth and shall our, uh, assure our hearts before him. You know, that's a big problem in the church, assurance. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Did I do something this week that didn't save me? Or am I still saved? And we are unstable and wobbly. And here he says, you want real assurance in your hearts before him? Love people. Love people who are hard to love. 
Go love people. Go love people. Go sacrifice your time. Go, listen, your kingdom's big enough. Go sacrifice your time. Go sacrifice your resource in the way that God asks you to. By this, you'll know that you're one of his. You'll be assured. I always hear it. Every time I hear somebody go bless somebody else, I hear it every single time. It blessed me more than it blessed them. And why do you think that is? It's like the Lord's assuring you of his love for you. So for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Wow. Are there some people in here who need to hear that? There's no condemnation now to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God, and now we can have the peace of God. I'm quoting from Romans and Philippians. And here it says, you know, sometimes my heart condemns myself because you start to say things like this. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't make it to the homeless ministry this week. Oh, my goodness. I I didn't help, right? And And here he says, I mean, it's, it's almost like God's uh, verse of chill. Relax. I know. I'm going to work out all of these things. Just don't condemn. In Christ, you're not condemned. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He knows what you're going through. He knows you got caught up at the light or whatever, got caught up at the store, whatever. Beloved, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Here, folks, here's a commandment. Here you go. Believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. For salvation, we should believe on the name of Jesus Christ. But catch this, in prayer. Here, what is he describing right here? Well, can I pray to get a, you know, a $200,000 uh, Lamborghini? It says here, whatever we ask, we receive from him. I should ask for a Lamborghini. Oh, my goodness, that would be cool. Whatever we ask, we receive of him. Why? Because we keep his commandments. What are his commandments? To love him and to love others, just to be so close to the Lord, see, that our will starts to line up with his will so that when we ask, we're in the will of God, and it spits out in a good way. He spits out. He orchestrates what we're praying, and we're praying according to his name. And what does that mean in the Bible? According to his nature. See, his nature isn't, despite what they tell you on TV, to give you a $200,000 Lamborghini. He's not really concerned with the Lamborghini, folks, in your life. He's concerned with people, catch it, who are lost and lonely and sick and in sin. Mostly sin, of course, sin first. But he's concerned with the lost and the lonely, and you're his children, and you get the incredible privilege of going out to serve and to love people, and as you pray, you begin to pray these prayers, not Lamborghini for $200,000, but that you would give enough uh, money so that we could buy milk for that family. Get the difference? Our heart starts to align up with his, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Of course, believe for salvation, but also believe in prayer and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, here it comes. He who keeps his commandments abides in him, 
Do you think abiding is important? Have I said that today? It's, it's staying under the God who is revealed in the Bible, not staying under a God you have created in your mind. That you abide, you keep, you abide, you trust, and in Him, and by this we know that He who abides in us, and by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Do you know what the Bible says? In Romans 8, boy, Romans 8 is an important chapter. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. (laughs) You want to be assured? As you abide and stay under, listen, His Spirit tells your spirit you're loved. You're one of mine. So here's what we're going to do. I'm not sure, hopefully, if they're ready, we're going to do one last worship song. They're going to come up, and uh, we are going to uh, worship the Lord. But if you are here and you don't know whether you're going to heaven, I'm going to be standing up here after. I want you to know. If you're one who's struggling with something uh, in your life, whatever it is, I want you to come up and pray. Uh, Jan and I will be up here. Others will be up here. You can come up. We want to pray with you before you leave. Also, we're going to have our Foundations of the Faith meeting right after. We'll talk about when we're going to do it. If you want to do it, I have some notebooks here, and we're going to uh, start on that uh, 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 next week. But I really just want to say I don't want you to leave here. If there's something in your life that you're struggling with, you're thinking about, Uh, this uh, teaching, this chapter has done something in your life. I just want you to pray about it before you leave. So come on up. Here, let me pray as we close. Lord, thanks so much uh, for your word. And I just ask, Lord, that you'd um, continue to unleash in the hearts of the people here your gospel, Lord, by your spirit. Lord, that people would be impacted and saved and that if they are saved, they'd come to a deeper understanding and love for you because what's revealed here. Lord, that we grow in Christ-likeness. Help us to do that. That's sometimes or oftentimes a very difficult process. It hurts sometimes, Lord, but we need your help. Lord, help us today and always. In Jesus' name, amen.